Hello and welcome to Merely Mortal Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Diana. And it's almost Christmas. <laughs> it is. It is almost Christmas. Uh, how Thank do you God feel? it's almost over. I are you not a Christmas usually, person? I'm not not a Christmas person. I just it's very consumerist. But I feel very removed from the consumerism of the holidays this year. Mm-hmm. I'm staying with family this year. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like I'm living an old, retired life right now. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So it's, it's all right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Christmas? Um, I It was so unbeknownst. Like, I've never been into the whole Black Friday shopping, like, my whole family is never really like that. For Christmas for us, it was like, we go and see the lights, you know, drive around as a family together. We get a tree, we decorate it together. Um, so for me, the holidays is really just about like spending times and like a lot of like traditions and stuff. And we never got like a ton of presents, like as kids too, you know, we'd get like a bike, but we were so stoked to have it, you know? Yeah, we would always get like one big present yeah exactly. and then a bunch of little things that we needed like toothbrushes and socks and yeah. stuff like that and my grandma on my dad's side when she was alive she would every year she was an amazing baker so she and she even has her own like cookbook like when she passed away everyone's like who's gonna get grandma's recipe book because like <laughs> she, yeah she was like she's the best cook honestly and um she would always send like a care package of like brownies, cookies, divinity, like fudge, what you name it. And that what's divinity? It's like, okay, I know it's not a very popular dessert. It's kind of like an old school, but it's white. It's almost like a white fudge in a way, but I think it tastes better. It has nuts in it. I really like it. Uh, maybe because it's like I've had it as a kid thing. I don't know. Mm. Um, but I just, that was what I looked forward to the most during Christmas was getting that from my grandma and um, also just like spending time as a family going to see lights, you know, like little tradition things like that's what really excites me. And I'm very much into that. I'm also like a big, I'm more of a cards person than I am like a presents person. Like everyone gives, Mm -hmm. everyone just gives gift cards like during Christmas. I don't know why I just like hate that so much. I'm like... For me, the holidays are a time to be thoughtful and like really like if you don't do it already, like just really tell the ones that you love how much you care about them. And that's why I like cards because you can write sentimental things in there. And like, I feel like sometimes it's more thoughtful than just like, here, here's a candle. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 100%. I I've been the last few years have been really enjoying trying to put together like the perfect gifts for people like for that specific person and just a few people like I'm not feeling obligated to get gifts for everybody but if there's something that's right for someone and I want to say hey I know you and I know what you like and I know what you need like I last year I got people socks and throughout the entire year I do too and they were just regular comfy socks and like throughout the entire year I would see them wearing the socks I got them all the time and I'm like okay note to self socks are a great gift everyone uses socks and everyone loves a good pair of socks my boyfriend would agree with you him and his family that's like their thing they give each other socks yeah 
And you can never have too many socks. You know what I mean? Like I'm very specific with my socks. They have to be a certain texture and it's the it's the 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 nd in me (laughs) they have to be a certain texture and level of thickness yeah because they're going in your feet and i'm very weird about my feet like i want it to be comfortable like it has to be perfect like i hate it when they're too thick but i hate it when they're too thin because it's like what's the point of wearing socks then they're just gonna be like yes hosiery you know 100 percent. before this podcast turns into a sock pod (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to introduce the story that I'm telling this week, which I believe is a hero story. I mean, I know it's a hero story, but it's also a survival story. My stories keep wind up being part hero, part survivor. I mean, you know, usually a hero saves someone who is ultimately a survivor, so makes perfect sense but you've kind of been keeping me on this like hand in hand. They do. And you've been kind of keeping me on a cliffhanger about this story i have no idea what you're doing it about so what i thought i told you what i was doing Uh -uh. you're gonna go oh when i tell you go ahead okay (laughs) i'm going to be telling the story of yusra mardini an olympic swimmer who fled war-torn syria at just 17 years old and went on to become an olympic swimmer yes you didn't say all that but you hinted at some of that but i have i've never even heard this story before though Oh, it's a Netflix original called The Swimmers. That's how I first heard of her. I really love that movie. Highly recommend. What's that um, noise? But I was moving stuff. Oh, okay. Is it better now? Yeah. Sorry. I moved. I don't know what I moved, but I moved something. Sound like- I was clicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Not in my normal pod setup, folks. So <laughs> please excuse the, the clicking and stuff. Um. What was I going to say? So you say. So intro. You entered the story. Oh, yeah. Yes. So there was a Netflix film that was made about Yusra and her story called The Swimmers, and that's how I first heard about her. Um, and for the story, I read a bunch of articles, which I will link in the show notes. But ultimately, I got the bulk of my story from her book called Butterfly: From Refugee to Olympian: My Story of Rescue, Hope, and Triumph. Yusra Mardini grew up in a small suburb of Damascus, Syria. And for a little backstory and context of what was going on in Syria at this time, large-scale protest and pro-democracy demonstrations began happening in 2011. And by 2012, it had turned into a full-blown civil war as rebel groups continued to fight against the Syrian government's rule. Mm-hmm. The dream of being a swimmer was thrust upon Yusra from a young age by her father. She did not choose those dreams, but would eventually grow to claim them as her own. When she was a toddler, her father literally threw her into the swimming pool. She was in lessons by four, and if she were to resist the lessons, the punishments were fierce. One time, he discovered that she had been slacking on her lessons and had almost completely forgotten how to swim. At the time, she had a coach who thought she was so cute and would allow her to sit out of the pool and eat cake instead of participating in her So. One day, dad threw her in the pool again to test how good of a swimmer she'd become, and he realized that she did not know how to swim anymore. She'd forgotten because she wasn't eating practicing. Cake. She was eating cake, yes. <laughs> and so he would throw her in again and again and again, making her paddle back to the edge until she remembered how to swim. This was at four years old. Damn. Honestly, it sounds like my mom. 
<laughs> for real yeah that's how we learned how to swim we by just literally like we we took lessons later but in the beginning we just like were thrown into the water I know that's like a thing they do with little babies mm-hmm. and and young children they they do do that mm-hmm. but it's with much more like love and <laughs> safety net <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> I don't know usually 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 it's with like a professional swimming teacher and baby keeping afloat expert I don't know what the official job Girl, I grew up in is. the 80s and 90s times are different yeah (laughs) I know I know I grew up in the 90s too things were different my mom is a my mom is a swimmer so I don't remember when I learned how to swim I was just always swimming I don't know what the first day in the pool was like exactly so after she relearned how to swim he put her in her older sister Sarah's swimming class where she would be bulldozed by the older swimmers in her lane if she didn't figure out how to be a strong swimmer again So in order to stay afloat and not be knocked all around the pool by these swimmers who were just, you know, doing their laps without any care for where she was in the water, she had to, she had to keep up and she had to learn how to swim. Very trial by fire. Yes. As she grew up, her life revolved around her training for swimming. Swim was her life. She would go to school, train with weights outside of the pool, and then get in the pool and swim. That's awesome. At home, they would watch videos of other swimmers competing. When she saw Michael Phelps competing in the Olympics and take the gold, the dream finally became hers as well. She was obsessed and she was going to swim for her country and bring home the gold. Michael Phelps became her hero. Yeah. So in her teen years, as the war in Syria got worse, her family was forced to move apartments four times in three years. The landlords always wanted to raise the prices or provide housing for their own family members instead. So they were constantly being displaced. As things continued to get worse, Yusra even gave up on her swimming goals and just tried to be a teenager, having a good time with her friends. But eventually her longing for gold called her back. She would get jealous of her peers who were still swimming and winning competitions, and she knew that she needed to get back to it. She began training again harder than ever. However, nowhere was safe in the city. Bombs were always falling around them. Gunfire, shrapnel was a constant threat. People they knew were dying all around them. This is a quote from her book. Death is random and ever-present. It falls from the sky and the street in midday traffic without warning. Then we dust ourselves off and carry on. That sounds bleak. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I can't even imagine. We just dust ourselves off and carry on like it's a fucking normal thing. Yeah. And she really emphasized that during this time, she was a teenager. So they would be out partying and, you know, like hanging out with their friends while bombs were just going off like, you know, a few blocks away. It was just something that they weren't going to let interfere with seeing their friends. Like that's all they wanted to do was just party and be with friends. Right. They were 17 and 20 years old, her and her older sister. Um, so one evening when Yusra was training in the pool, she was startled by a thundering crash and then everyone around her, the other swimmers and the coaches sprang into action to evacuate the pool. But it wasn't until she had already climbed out of the pool that she realized what had happened and caused that loud noise. It was an unexploded rocket propelled grenade that had crashed through the roof and landed in the pool while she was still in it. Uh, That's, dude, that's horrifying. (laughs) yes it's a miracle that it didn't go off had it hit the side or bottom of the pool everyone would have been dead 
Jesus so it, it's Christ. inexplicable. How. Is it because it hit the water or it just was a. Like, yeah. Yes. <gasps> the water slowed it down, but had it gone, you know, it, it's a miracle that it landed exactly. In the oh middle of the pool where my it did. God. That's wow. So this is what fueled her and her sister's decision to finally leave Syria and go to Europe mm-hmm. and try to, you know, find somewhere safer to live. Mm-hmm. So they had her mom and she had a little sister who was five years old and her dad. Um, her mom and her little sister would would still be at home and her dad was working somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The war was affecting her training and she couldn't have that. She knew that her only way to the Olympics was to go somewhere where bombs didn't drop in pools. So, again, 17-year-old Yusra and her 20-year-old sister, Sarah, who had – Sarah had already been wanting to leave this whole time because so many of her friends had already fled, and they started to prepare to leave. Mm-hmm. Like as their refugees? Over- or- as refugees, okay. yeah. Yeah, they, their dad was working overseas, and he sent them money for the trip, and they also enlisted two older male family members to go with them, Majed and Nabi. They came up with a plan, gathered their supplies, which was warm clothes, boots, a GPS tracker for their phones so their parents would know where they are at all times, and their passports. So to start the trip off, they flew from Syria to Lebanon, where they awaited transfer to Istanbul. Along the way, they were treated like scum and given dirty looks from the Lebanese. In her book, Yusra says they made them feel like the scum of the Arab world. From Istanbul, they had two options to make their journey to Europe. They could walk or they could go by sea. Going by sea is more expensive, but walking is still dangerous. There were walls that were being built up around Bulgaria, and police patrol the route, beating and stealing from refugees who they catch. Stealing from refugees? Yeah. (laughs) What? Wow. They're all all, um, opportunistic. That's wow. The others traveling with them were really nervous. Um, her, her, um, the two guys, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nahib was her cousin who was about her age, and Majad was her cousin's uncle. Okay. And they were nervous traveling. Yeah. They didn't know how to swim. Oh, so they were by really sea. nervous to uh, go by sea. sea. Okay. Yeah. But Yusra and Sarah assured them that they would not let them drown because they were strong swimmers and could protect them. They eventually got in touch with smugglers and were taken by bus to a strip of beach surrounded by forest. Three days passed before they, before they were finally given a dinghy that they were to travel on. It was inflatable and had no seats, just an engine and a flat bottom. And it was also built to hold only six people, but they were meant to stuff 18 people in it. So three <laughs> times. The, <laughs> yeah. Three times the limit doesn't or does not sound good already yeah this is already a recipe for disaster yeah exactly the muggler the mugglers (laughs) (laughs) they're like wizards who like smuggle muggles (laughs) you're a muggler why couldn't they just apparate (laughs) you're a a muggler (laughs) okay okay um the smugglers stuffed it so full of men, women, and young children, even a baby, oh. most of whom couldn't swim. Um, they were crammed shoulder to shoulder around the edges of the boat. There wasn't even enough room for their belongings, so they had to leave everything behind but their necessities and valuables. Wow. 
So wait, Everyone's you combined. have like you're already exceeding the people limit, but now you got shit in the boat, yeah. like per- on top of that. That's well, just- they had their like small amount of items that they were traveling with. It's a really long journey, so they needed you know like changes of clothes and food and water and pictures of their family and things like that, and they had to leave most of that behind. <sighs> And they're traveling with a baby, you know, so like babies need things, young children need things. Oh my gosh. Sad. Diapers. (laughs) Yeah. Food. Um, Yeah. Everyone's combined weight on the boat forced it to sit so low that water spilled over the edges into it. No. (laughs) Their first, so their first attempt at leaving is actually thwarted by the Turkish Coast Guard and they are forced to rush back to shore. So they had started to go, but the Turkish Coast Guard is swimming back and forth Mm -hmm. and he won't let them go. So they have to go and wait. Refugees are not treated kindly here at all. There's no empathy or compassion whatsoever. Sounds like it. And there's like, I I think the number is something like 80,000 around this time. 80,000 refugees were fleeing Syria and trying to trying to get here so that they could go somewhere in Europe to be safe. I think um, that's what a lot of people and maybe and I maybe people do realize that, but a lot of the times when they're refugees, they're fleeing like either a dictatorship, war, like literally their yeah. li- for their lives. And it's just insane the people- to me like how people like see them as like you're trying to ruin our country. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, they just see them as like fleas appearing in mass it's numbers and like so infiltrating gross. their land when really it's just like you're on the other side of the sea and we need to survive. Yeah. You know, why are you more entitled to it than we are just because of where you were born? Exactly. It's ridiculous. It's so sad. In, so in all the panic after the Turkish Coast Guard stopped them and they had to like flee back to shore, Yusra's boot actually got wedged between two rocks and she couldn't get it out. So the waves are crashing over her and knocking her down. They were trying to drag this big dinghy, this big heavy dinghy back to shore. And she's just getting pummeled trying <sighs> to get her poor boot out of these rocks. And then eventually she gets her foot free and she's forced to abandon the boot. Uh, the boot after the that, boat? The, the boot, the boot, the boat, the boot. Oh, the boot, her shoe. The boot. Yeah, her shoe got stuck. Oh, wow. Okay. In addition to the boat being stuck, her shoe got stuck. The boat did not get stuck. Her shoe got stuck. Oh. So you they were they were they had to drag the boat back to shore because the Turkish Coast Guard stopped them. And as they're dragging the boat back in, Yusra's boot, her shoe oh, okay. got I thought, caught between I think, two rocks. I think you I thought you had said boat. So I I'm, oh. this whole time I'm thinking the boat got <laughs> stuck. But her shoe got stuck. No. She was getting out. Yeah. And nobody was stopping to help her. She was like getting knocked over by the waves and the people trying to get out of the water and her, her ankle and she was just stuck between these two rocks. And so she had to leave the shoe behind and she's now shoeless. So she had to like Um, Cinderella out of there and now she has (laughs) one shoe. Yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. She gets her, she ditches the other boot and finds a pair of flip-flops and uses those instead. Okay. I think she had a pair of flip-flops in her bag. Um, the woman with her baby and her young son actually decided that the trip was too unsafe and she wasn't going to risk her children, so they left. It wasn't until um, later that evening that they all piled back into the boat and were able to leave again. Mm. And this time the Turkish Coast Guard wasn't there to stop them. So once in the ocean, the waves fell on them relentlessly. The inflatable boat was a poor protection, and they continued to get Mm -hmm. battered by waves. 
Some people began to pray to Allah to protect them. And then 15 minutes into the open ocean, the engine quit. So they were just left floating on a dead dinghy in the middle of the ocean. (sighs) They didn't have paddles or anything, right? They had. They didn't have anything. Yeah. Oh my In order gosh. to try to relieve some of the weight from the boat and hopefully get the engine going again, they began to throw out every non-essential item to lighten the load. They used their hands to scoop water out and back into the sea, and each wave that passed them almost capsized them. Mm. With no other options, a man named Muhammad grabbed a rope that was attached to the boat, like wrapped around the edges of the dinghy. Mm-hmm. And he lowered himself into the sea, hoping that it would help keep the boat afloat, hoping his weight being gone would help. This man didn't even know how to swim. Oh. And yet he risked his own life to hopefully save the others. And then Sarah grabbed the rope and went in on the other side. Sarah used her sister. Right, yeah. So without their weight, the boat sits higher on the sea. Yusra refused to just sit there and do nothing, and she knew that she would never forgive herself if she just sat there and let these people die, so she followed her sister and Muhammad into the water. Another man jumped into the water on the other side, so now Sarah and Yusra are on one side, and Muhammad are on the other. Mm-hmm. Muhammad and the other man are on the other side. They can see the island, they just have to make it. Unfortunately, no matter how hard they kick and pull, they can't get the boat to budge. And their weight gone from the boat still does not get the engine to start again. Mm. One of the other passengers called the Greek Coast Guard because they all had like their cell phones still. Oh, okay. So one of the other passengers called the Greek Coast Guard and begged them to save them. But they refused. Ah. All they can do. (laughs) Yeah. They they don't care. Yeah. Wow. They're just going to let these people die. It's crazy. Makes you think well, twice about going um, to Greece. Okay, I know I had thrown up earlier today because I was sick to my stomach, but I am actually sick to my stomach from that statement. That's oh, <laughs> that's so yeah. heartless. These are people. These are human beings and children too. Yeah, men, women, and children. Are and you're just boat. like, and eh, die. We know our job yeah, is to sorry. save people, but we don't want any more of you in our country, so we're just going to leave you there. Terrible. Like, yeah. They can still save them and put them, like, you know, in a refugee camp, anything. It's just, it's so inhumane. I don't understand. Yeah. Another yeah. boat full of refugees. This one, this one might make you throw up. Oh, no. There was another boat full of refugees that passed them and they called out to them for help, but they didn't stop. They just continued to go past them. Why? Were they trying to Whoever save themselves was operating or they just the, didn't care? I guess so. I don't know if there's smugglers in the boat with them who wouldn't stop or if they just exactly like they could only save themselves. Because where were they going to put all those people? Maybe they could tow them. Like there, there had to have been something they could do, but they didn't stop for them. Mm. Wow. What a helpless feeling. So Yusra, yeah. So Yusra and the others are in the water doing their best to control the boat. Again, they can't pull it, but they can, you know – keep it pointed towards the island and hope that eventually they get pushed towards the island mm-hmm. the sun set and they so they're, it's dark now yeah so the sun sets and now they're floating in total darkness oh my god 
for hours they floated there, exhausted. For hours. For hours. Exhausted. Exhausted. <laughs> They're exhausted, fighting death. Part of Usura wanted to succumb. Right. But, you know, she did everything she could to just float. All she had to do was just float. She said that she watched a goal soar above her the whole way, almost as if it was guiding her along. A what? A seagull. Oh, a seagull. A goal. A goal. Oh. So it was just chilling <laughs> up there? But she gets... It was just it was just flying above her the whole time. But here's the thing. What's smart about that is seagulls eventually need to find land or a rock or something to like... Yes. Perch themselves So on. if you see a seagull, you're close to land. They yeah. could see land from where they were. Right. They just right. couldn't get there. As time wore on... Both Sarah and Yusra became too exhausted to continue, so they asked to be brought back. As they sat in the boat shivering, Majed tried the engine again, and finally it sputtered to life. Nice. But everyone was too tired to celebrate. Oh my god, they're like, cool. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> and then somebody suggested that it would go faster if somebody got back in the water, again to alleviate the weight. Everyone's eyes almost immediately went to sarah the big strong swimmer you know she's the older sister yeah, she's right. strong she's the best swimmer but like what about hypothermia and stuff it's the mediterranean sea so it's not cold i've been in the mediterranean like, it's not warm it's either. not well, well wait when like, was this do we know if it was this spent? is in september oh yeah it's hot it's warm. or it's like in the summer it might have even been august okay um, because they arrive in september got it uh, spoiler warning, they arrive in September. Okay. <laughs> I'll cut it out. Um, everyone's eyes almost immediately went to Sarah. She was already so battered and exhausted from her time in the sea, but she grabbed the rope and slid back into the dark sea. It was still nighttime. She could only handle it for about 20 minutes before she needed to be pulled back in again. And then she rested for a bit. But as they got closer to land, she removed her life jacket got back in the water and tow them the rest of the way to shore. She sort of just like did a freestyle swim, towing them wow. with her to shore. One person did this. Sarah is amazing. Dude, she's a like lot a of horse attention, pulling like a carriage in a way, if you think about it. A lot of the attention from the story goes to Yusra, but Sarah honestly is the real hero here. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad and you're Yusra highlighting amazing that. Too. Yeah. Um, once to shore, they all destroyed the boat with knives that some of the men had on them so that no one else would have to suffer what they just had. It was oh, sort wow. of like a big fuck you to the boat for, you know, doing right. this to us. It was right. how they got that anger out. And during the journey, Yusra had lost both her sandals and glasses. So she was especially disoriented because she was exhausted and covered in salt, but she also couldn't see anything. Finally, they got to feel the elation of having survived and made it to Greece, but it was quickly followed by extreme thirst, hunger, and even more exhaustion. Yeah, I bet. That, you know, that exhaustion that comes with the, a fall of adrenaline, too, that they all must have been feeling throughout that yeah. whole trip. Yeah. I can only imagine the weight that they're feeling once they reach land. Yeah. And they're also soaking wet and covered in sea yeah. salty seawater exactly yeah. i was about to say the mediterranean is salty and yeah. that is also like having to be in that water too like dehydrates you 
Yeah, I bet. It sucks all the moisture out of yeah. your skin. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I was thinking about. I was like, I bet they're so thirsty. Mm-hmm. She talks a lot about how thirsty she was. Oh, um, I they believe actually, it. So once they got to shore, they walked along the beach and Yusra tried to buy a bottle of water from a restaurant where she saw two men sitting outside with their dog, but they refused her and wouldn't let her buy any water from them. They walked on I for a little bit longer. Gobsmacked at like how I know. cruel humans are to one another sometimes. I know. it's They treat them as such others but that's why these stories are important because you see one side of the story on the news and whatever your country's media presents to you and it's true they really dehumanize refugees and immigrants and they don't teach us why they're leaving these places and it's not like they're like coming here to steal your jobs they're coming here because the other survival (laughs) yeah yeah awful um after walking on for a little bit longer longer (laughs) so wait after so like they didn't just like did they like crash land right in front of a restaurant or like somewhere on an island walk down the beach saw a restaurant like this is obviously a place that people probably go to like vacay at and stuff maybe they landed they landed on the beach and they walked along the beach until they like came upon restaurants and a boardwalk of some sort and then just imagine like feeling relieved like oh wow now we can get water and they're just like no yeah but they and it's so sad too because they know like they know that these people don't want to help them like some (sighs) some of them don't even ask yusra asked the others didn't ask you know i'm sure not all of them speak english but most of them spoke english sad yeah but after walking on for a little bit longer they came to some private homes and there was a girl standing outside a very sweet girl who gave yusra a pair of shoes and some water yusra was actually walking with one of the little boys that had been he was the only little boy that had been on the boat with them and she gave him a clean sweatshirt oh bless that little girl or that girl whoever that girl is she was a young girl. Oh, I don't know how old she her was. Her parents she was raised her right. Young girl. Yes. Wow. They eventually found somewhere to eat where a kind woman served them and pointed them to a church where they could sleep for the night. Mm-hmm. She also told them that how she also told them how to find a bus that would take them where they needed to go for the next leg of their journey. Mm-hmm. And then when the woman pointed them to the ch- to the church, Sarah was like, "Oh, but we're Muslim." And she was like, we don't care about that. Like, go to the church. Go get some sleep. They even, um, because they're Muslim and because of, you know, the laws, they, the women slept inside, but the men slept outside because you can't sleep in the the same same, room as a man that's unmarried. Yeah. Family. Yeah. Um, So they still had a long and difficult journey ahead of them. Some people were generous volunteers helping the refugees along, and others were opportunistic jerks who took advantage of their vulnerability. But after a 25-day trek through Greece to Macedonia, then through Serbia, Hungary, Austria, they finally reached Germany. This took them 25 days. (sighs) And on Monday, September 7th, 2015, they were welcomed into Berlin and were given refugee housing. Oh, wow. It was like these big tents lined with bunk beds. There was like little private tents that had personal bunks in it what and year things was like this? that. But this is 2015. 
Not much time passed before Yusra was looking for a pool and a coach to start training again. She eventually meets a, co- meets a coach named Sven Spannerkrebs, who helps her to qualify for the 2016 Summer Olympics refugee team in Rio. At the Olympics, she won a 100-meter butterfly heat against four other swimmers. She became the proud flag bearer for the team, competing on the world stage alongside athletes from all other countries. Her hero, Michael Phelps, actually competed in the same lane that she did. She realized that she was representing others like her. She said that it made her proud and made her realize that she had a voice and that she could use that to help people understand that refugees are normal people who have hopes and dreams. Since then, she has worked tirelessly to share her story and those of so many other refugees to bring greater visibility to the dangers they have faced. Mm. As an ambassador for UNHCR, United Nations High Commission for Refugees, she has spoken at the World Economics Forum, Google Zeitgeist, We Day, and the Global Women's Forum, and has also visited refugee camps. Sarah, shortly after arriving in Germany, returned to Lesbos to help other refugees cross. Mm. She also went on to become a strong advocate for refugees. Sarah was actually arrested in Greece for her work in providing aid to refugees, but her charges were fortunately dropped last January, but not before she spent 106 days in a maximum security prison in Athens. Maximum security for helping refugees? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds a bit overkill there. You'd think, yeah. So... Yeah, Sarah and Yusra to this day are continuing their work and providing a voice and assistance for refugees. And you can watch their film, The Swimmers, which Sarah, I mean, sorry, which Yusra had a huge part in creating. Was she like a consultant? She was. She was one of the producers and a consultant. Yeah. Um, it definitely does the Hollywood thing where it right. sensationalizes <laughs> some parts of it, but I would say it's pretty true to what the actual experience was. And it's, it's a really beautiful film and you can learn more about who Sarah and Yusra were and how freaking awesome mm-hmm. who Sarah and Yusra are, excuse me. They're still very young and still very alive mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. cool they are. Yeah. And that's, that's the story of Yusra and Sarah Mardini. You know, it's like crazy because like it wasn't like it didn't happen that long ago. And stories like Mm -mm. these for me put a lot of stuff into perspective because like just like with even like women's rights, you know, like wanting to, oh, if they don't pass, you know, women's reproductive rights or, you know, even just like here in America, not supporting all human beings and it in that in itself makes you want to leave now imagine on top of that you don't have that but now you're getting like just seeing bombs and stuff like every day and like yeah and wanting help but people almost look down at you because of it and it's just like I can't even imagine like being in that position you know and it's just I don't know it's so like it really makes it's inspiring to hear their stories, but at the same time, it really opens you up to like just how there's this. And it's not just here in the States, but like it seems like globally, there's this issue with like classism and like, you know, prejudice against people because there's so much pre- yeah. yeah. 
there's so much against Arab people specifically. Like yeah. they painted such an ugly picture of who they are and tell such a small story of them. Like it's just awful, especially now with what's going on. It's it's it puts to like the what's going on in Palestine puts it into even more perspective how these people are treated throughout I like I, I across even, the world. Yeah, and like I'm even afraid to even like say this. But like I was trying to tell a friend who's like families from that area about, you know, what's going on and they were just like, Yeah, but Palestinians are like the lowest of the low of Muslims or something like that's what what they say and I'm just like what are you talking about like it like shocked me because I was shocked to hear this come out of someone I knew and Mm -hmm. I'm like who cares like these people were born here they couldn't control what they were born as you know Mm -hmm. and it just yeah it's I think you know we there's just a lot that you know I feel we can do better as just I think humanity to understand people that are not us you know Mm -hmm. and and it's not there's there's a select few people who are naturally curious naturally empathetic and naturally compassionate a Mm -hmm. lot of that stuff has to be taught you know yeah Uh, I I was my one of my best friends has always been about it from a very young age her parents taught her that stuff they took her to protests they taught her about the israeli palestinian conflict Mm -hmm. and so she's always been about that life and she's always had this knowledge but the majority of us don't have that i agree yeah you know it's never too late to to learn and extend your compassion to people that you don't understand yeah I think that's the thing that it's true. You know, people are afraid of things they don't understand. And so instead of trying to understand, they reject it. They find ways to validate why, you know, they have these feelings and these like beliefs. Um, But wow. Now I I think I need to watch the swimmers now. I really loved it. It's, it's really good. I watched it a second time before, um, doing my research for this and it's it's still even on a second watch it's still very effective yeah yeah definitely need to do that since i'm probably not i also want to say that what oh, i said since i'm probably not going to do anything today because i'm feeling a bit you know under the weather under the weather oh my god watch it and then tell me what you think it's very yeah. cute um i also do want to say i should have mentioned that yusra and Sarah were reunited with her mother and little sister. Um, right. They were able the to dad? join them. Um, I think he wound up there eventually. I, I don't know. He was working in – I should have done that research and included that. Um, I think he was working in Jordan or something okay. during this. Like he was a swimming coach somewhere else. Um, but, yeah, the little sister and mom were able to join them on asylum eventually. Oh. I think it was about a year before they joined them. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. So they got the little sister out of there at a good young age. And they joined them by flying. You know, they didn't have to do that journey. They just got to go. And they're lucky because, I mean, we hear and see this, but a lot of boats do not make it. <laughs> yeah. 
so many. And it wasn't easy for them to get that paperwork either. They had to stand in line every single day in the winter and were often rejected by the time they got to the front of the line. It took a long time for them to make it happen for them. Man. Once yeah. they once they get there, a lot of a lot of what um, refugees talk about and what Sarah and Yusra are working to to share is that once they get there, they're still not undocumented people in this country talk about that. Like you're still barely a person of that country. You don't have the papers. You can't right. really work. You can't do anything. Right. Um, you're just held in this. You're like, just limbo. Limbo. Yeah. 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 Uh. And but what a yeah, and you're just you're there, but it's like you can't do anything. So how do you eat? How do you, you know? Yeah, you learn English. You if you don't know it already, I think a lot of people practice the language of the country that they're in. Um, mm-hmm. They get whatever jobs people will give them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's tough, Horrible. and this is still just my limited knowledge. Like I still am nowhere near an expert or knowledgeable enough at all about what they go on even through doing this research like there's so much more uh, I that can, i don't I know. can imagine yeah 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 all right That's well it. happy holidays <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to hopefully that puts stuff into perspective for all of you and you are extra thankful and grateful this season holiday season you know as yes, much as you can this- be obviously This has been my year that I've grown to truly understand gratitude because I can easily get caught up in, oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. Mm -hmm. But I do have a bed and food and a cat. (laughs) Yep. And there's not bombs in my backyard. Yeah, I know. That is something (laughs) to definitely be thankful for. Have you seen those conversations um, talking about how long an empire can last before it falls and the u.s empire is at the end of its tenure Uh, it's funny that you said that because um is tenure the right word tenure is like a length of time or is that not the right word because it's not a school or like a position um yeah it's probably not the right word Correct me, people. Send me an email. <laughs> but what were you going to say? Um, yeah, I've heard. I, I was watching something today where they were talking about that. And I mean, that's the thing. When a system goes unchecked for a while and, you know, no system is ever is evergreen. It's never going to work, you know, and, and stand the test of time. You know, things change and. When they do, I got to come up with a big backup plan. <laughs> you got to make your go bag. You got to build a bunker. If only you had $500,000. Did you watch Leave the World Behind? Oh my gosh, yes. I did. I did. What did you think? My boyfriend hated the ending. He was like, what? That's it? That's where it leaves off? I don't want to spoil it, but. Oh, I watched it. Yeah. Oh, for well, the no, for the, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert, folks. If you haven't watched Leave the World Behind, don't listen. Yeah, she, you know, she just turns on friends and it's like, that's yeah. it. And my boyfriend, oh, I loved it. My boyfriend's like, no, I want to fucking know, did they all make it back in there? Like, what happened? Of course they made it. <laughs> I loved it. Like, I thought it was perfect. It was good. Um, it? The part where she puts on the album and it's like, 
what's that song baby when we're grinding yeah like I her said, dancing i was like singing along and my boyfriend looks at me he's like you know this song and i'm like what what do you mean i know this song i'm like the song was a freaking jam my boyfriend is the worst like he doesn't know he's not into <laughs> music and like when the oh. thong song came on the radio, I was like, oh my, I turned to him and I was like, remember when the song was like popular when we were in school and he like looks at me and he's listening to the lyrics where it's like that song, that song. and he's just, he's like dumbfounded. He's like, was this really a song? And I'm like, yeah, dude, it wasn't a song. It was the song. And he it was, was like, a cultural milestone. And he's like, you're <laughs> kidding. And I was like, have you not heard the song? Like who's never heard the thong song? I know that's crazy. He has never heard the thong song before wild we hope you've been inspired by these tales of ordinary people doing extraordinary things and remember stay safe because in the end we're just mortals until next time take care bye bye